Good morning, Grace Place family, both online and on campus. We're so glad you guys are able to join us today. In a moment, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 19. So if you want to find your place there, we're going to be looking at a parable there of the 10 minas. And um, we'll take a look at that in just a moment. I am so grateful, uh, as was stated by Vanessa, for what happened uh, through Thanksgiving always every year. This year in particular, you guys just blew us away. Yeah, we set a great big goal, and uh, you have uh, really made an impact on the kingdom. And I'm just so grateful, and I want you to know how proud I am of you, and uh, that we, every year, you know, when this is going on, I'll have pastors reach out to me that are seeing kind of what's happening here. We all copy from each other and look at each other's posts and different kinds of things, you know, to find out what's happening. And they uh, reach out to me to find out what, what is happening, what's going on, and, and uh, they're, they're inspired that you're inspired and that you are uh, aboard in terms of not only just building the kingdom here. When we, uh, God put this in our heart to do Thanksgiving, this was outside the four walls. It was something that we wanted to do that uh, was not in the sense of uh, appearance of self-serving, something that we're doing for us to help us in some way, but that we are reaching out to help other ministries. We're partnering with people who are making a great impact. Uh, I shared this story I have before, and I want to share it again because we always have people who are uh, new to the congregation, new to my stories. So if you're old to my stories, then you've heard this. But uh, just picking one of the ministries, uh, Bill and Tammy Woods in Chiapas. I met Bill... Uh, Bill Woods when I was nine years old. Uh, Bill and I uh, became really good friends. We went to the same home church. My parents were pastors in, in a church in Miami, uh, Arizona. And I, I can remember telling people, people would ask me when I was young, you know, where are you from? And I would say Miami. They go, Florida? That's so cool. I was like, no. <laughs> it's, it's a mining town in the mountains uh, there in Miami. And uh, Really a beautiful area, kind of an ugly little town, but a beautiful area for me uh, because I, you know, I grew up there. I was impacted by uh, the surrounding mountains there, by the desert, by uh, the people of that church who really had an impact on my life. I knew Bill uh, well, his sister Eloise, his brother Eddie, and then uh, his mom and dad. We spent the night at each other's homes. We grew up together. I can remember we would sit in service, and uh, you know they would. It was back when they used to do the hymns all the time, and so someone would come up and say, "Page 345." You know, we're going to sing "Power in the Blood." How many of you remember that? Or been in the church long enough? And you know, we're going to sing verse one, two, and four. And so Bill and I, you know, we loved to sing, and we would uh, take different roles on the the song. Like you know, I'm going to sing bass on this one. I'm going to sing tenor, you know, I'm going to sing the lead part. I'm going to sing baritone. And, and so we found a way just to make it fun, hanging out in the congregation uh, and singing and, and being a part of what was going on there. But Bill, um, a story that I wanted to, to share with you, when, when they uh, went to Romania and uh, he and Tammy started a, a work there, it coincided with when we were making trips to Romania. After I discovered he was there and he was working with a, uh, a children's home uh, in Suchava in Romania. And so to kind of help you understand a little bit of the backdrop of, 
you know, people have often talked about over the years adopting kids from Romania and, you know, why were there so many kids just out there to adopt and that kind of thing. Well, under the rule of Ceausescu, who was just a dictator, he promised the people uh, over many years that uh, if they would have more children, he would give them more money, right? He never followed through with the promise, but the people followed through with having the children. And so there are many, many uh, homes there that had multiple children, and uh, they could not uh, take care of them. And so these are not children that were unloved and uncared for, but they were children that lovingly were taken by families that say, we can't feed them. Will you take care of them? And these children's homes begin to spring up all over uh, Romania where they would take care of, of these children. They would feed them and, and, and uh, clothe them and give them schooling and all of this kind of stuff. So that is the backdrop for that. And so Bill and Tammy were serving and helping in one of those places. So that lets you know that there were just these children's homes all over the place, right? So our plane comes in one time and uh, I had made advance uh, plans to uh, meet with Bill in Romania. And so our plane landed and, and uh, you know, uh, he was gonna come down from Chichava. He was gonna meet me in Galatz, which is the church that we're supporting. And, and so when the plane landed, we got out and just, you know, we're, we're meeting the people who are taking us. They had two vans. It's a two hour trip. We were already exhausted, right? It's a nine hour flight. Uh, it's not direct. You land, you know, in Germany, then you get on another plane and you fly again. And so all of us are extremely exhausted, time change, everything else. And so the first thing they greeted us with is, hey, can you guys wait two hours? There's another flight coming in. And uh, these people are going to the same area you're going to, and we'd like to pick up everybody at the same time. And so we're like, okay, we'll do it, you know. And, and a little, uh, uh, the plane came in, a little group from California, about five people came out and jumped on the van uh, with us. And so one of them, his name was Caesar. And Caesar was just very upset. And uh, so I sat near him and, and heard his story. And what had happened was he had been in, in uh, he has in a, a dynamic church in California on Long Beach and, and uh, they had uh, a passion for missions. And, and, and so when he was going, they had raised an offering and, and a good portion of that offering came from uh, one individual and uh, they had raised that money to give to uh, a couple who was serving in, in one of the, the children's homes. And he, had, uh, he was the one going and designated as the point person. And so they had given him the name and the address and the phone number of this person that he was to meet in Romania and how to contact him, you know. But he had done what many of us do, and back then there were no cell phones. He had left that laying on a dresser when, when he hastily packed the last few things, he forgot to take it. And he was heartbroken that he had an envelope full of money to deliver to he didn't know who. <laughs> and so we are getting, you know, on the trip, we're hearing his story and I'm praying with him and I'm trying to ask him questions. Do you know the guy's first name or the woman's first name? Do you know their last name? No. And I said, well, there's children's homes everywhere. In fact, there's some many in this city, you know, that uh, was it, does this city sound familiar? And we, we started naming off towns, villages that we were going to go through on the way to where we were going. The, have you ever heard of Dragashin? Have you ever heard of Timishara? Have you ever heard? We started listing off these places and uh, I just couldn't remember anything. He's so, so upset. But we arrive and uh, 
we're at the church is where they first drop us off and we're unloading all of our luggage and everything. Shortly, maybe within a 30 minute window, Bill has arrived and I'm meeting with him in the courtyard and we're talking and I said, hey, I met this guy named Caesar. He's from California. And he has come on this trip and one of his missions is to deliver an envelope of money to one of these uh, children's homes, but he can't, he can't remember the guy's name he's supposed to deliver it to. Can't remember the phone number. He left all that stuff at home. Bill said, we'll bring him out. We'll talk to him and see if we can help. So he starts talking to Caesar. Do you remember his first name? All the questions I had asked. No, I don't. Do you remember his last name? No. Do you remember the city? No. Um, <laughs> do you remember the name of the children's home? No, I don't remember. And he said, well, a large portion of the money was given to me by uh, this guy's cousin. And so he said, you know, near $1,000 of this is just from his cousin alone. And uh, so Bill says, ah, that helps. He says, okay, so maybe they have the same name, you know, and we can help, I can help you that way. So what's his cousin's name? And, and Caesar says, his cousin is Joey Beeson. And Bill says, that's my cousin. <laughs> We're standing in the courtyard, you know, life, uh, light years away from where, you know, uh, we all started. And, and to have that uh, happen was just unbelievable, you know. And there he is. And he's like, he runs to, to his suitcase. He grabs the envelope. He runs and brings the money to Bill. And he's so grateful for the, for the opportunity. And uh, so when you see miracles like that, you know that God is, is working. And we have seen such miracles even through thanksgiving. And we thank you so much for your gifts and all that you have contributed to help out in these ministries. And I know it's going to go a long, long ways to helping uh, each of these ministries and the work that they do. Luke chapter 19. Told a long story, didn't I? All right. I guess we're going to be here a while. Beginning at verse 11, Luke 19, verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed uh, that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. It's always important to understand the backdrop for why a parable is told. So in this instance, we would remind you that they're being told this parable because their expectation is that the Messiah is coming and the kingdom is coming at the same time. That he's going to, to you know, really overthrow Rome and, and uh, the, immediately the kingdom of God is, is going to start here on earth, right? So this is why he tells this parable. Nice backdrop, right? A nobleman, he says, uh, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first came before him, saying, Lord, your minas has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. 
And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man, and you take what you do not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at, what, at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by him, take the mina from him and give it to another one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here, slaughter them before me. Title this message, The Gift Least Given. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, asking that you would enlighten us. There's so much out of this passage that we can gain, but today's direction, what is the key center of this passage, is what we want to look at. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to not only be fixed on it and understand it, but to be able to act on it once we leave here. And we're going to be careful to give you the praise and the glory for that. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen. Some people have uh, looked at this parable and they think that this one and the ten talents are the same parable. But they are different and there are several reasons why they are different. Uh, first of all, the parable of the minas was told on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. Uh, the parable of the talents was told uh, on the Mount of Olives. And the audience is also very different. The audience here for the parable of the minas was a large crowd. And you remember the uh, what, what was kind of the impetus for telling this was the fact that that large crowd or many in that crowd believed that the kingdom was supposed to start immediately. The audience for the parable of the talents was just the disciples themselves. The parable of the minas uh, deals with two classes of people, servants and enemies. The parable of the talents deals only with uh, professed servants. Uh, in the parable of the minas, each servant receives the same amount. In the parable of the talents, each servant receives a different amount. And the talents uh, are worth far more than the minas, which we'll examine in just a moment. Uh, also, the return is different. Uh, you might recall in the parable of the minas, the servants uh, report tenfold and fivefold earnings. In the parable of the talents, all the good servants doubled their investment. Um, in the former, the servants received identical gifts, and in the latter, the good servants showed identical faithfulness. So that shows you a little bit of the difference between those two parables. They are different parables, uh, though they have some similarities in them in, in, in how these, these stories play out. When we give uh, gifts, you know, when we give a gift... Uh, we may have, uh, I think, a hope at least, and in some instances an expectation that the giving that gift 
is going to improve uh, in some way the recipients' lives and, and even, you know, uh, perhaps make a difference in the world. But when we are those who receive the gift, what we do with it, more than what we say about it, demonstrates our thankfulness. I want to say that again. What we do with it, more than what we say about it, demonstrates our thankfulness. In the parable of the ten minas, Jesus uh, told his followers about a king whose gifts were likewise meant to be used and not hoarded. Gifts that were meant to be used and not hoarded. And as we come to the table of Thanksgiving, I think the question that we want to examine today is not are we thankful, but are we thanks living? Thanks living. Um, because this demonstrates more than anything else uh, whether or not we are truly grateful. Does our life demonstrate our gratitude? And the question for us today, too, is have we kept to ourselves that, you know, we held, uh, that what we may be held accountable for to the Lord when he returns as king? Has we, have we kept and hoarded to ourselves what we may be answering to the King of Kings for one day. In this parable, uh, and it is, it's so, uh, as we look at this, it's so uh, relatable uh, to us immediately, the parallels of uh, Jesus, the Messiah coming, and uh, some of the, the, the characteristics or some of the things about this particular person. It starts in this parable saying that a nobleman leaves for a foreign country in order to be made king. But before he leaves, he gave out ten minas to his servants. Now a mina is a, is a good sum of money, about three months' wages. And as we talked about earlier, the talent much more. They, they've estimated talent to be as much as a year or better uh, worth of wages. Um, so he, he leaves this sum of money, and, and the future king said his instructions were, put this money to work until I come back. Put this money to work. Take this gift and put it to work until I come back. There's an interesting note I want to start out by pointing to in the passage, which is it's, it's, we're unable to look at this and not relate it to our time and, and really any time in history, but especially right now in which you and I live. And that is that the man's subjects hated him, right? And they sent word to that, that they refused to acknowledge his kingship or lordship over them. These guys hated him so badly, they sent a company of people to go along with him where he was going to, to be... Uh, you know, looked at as being the king over this area. And uh, there were people, that, decision makers, that were going to make the decision. And these guys were going to say, uh-uh, this is not the guy. We don't want him. It says, but the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want him to reign over us. Now, can you, can you imagine, like, you know, if you were going to be the manager of the place that you're working at now. They were raising you up. You're going to be the manager, the vice president, the CEO, or whatever. And there's a group of people that come along to that meeting to say, huh, we don't like this person. We don't want them to be the person who leads our company, right? And here is the picture 
uh, and it's an interesting note as we start and look into this story. Two lessons, quick, that there are many, many in here, but two lessons that I want you to take home with you, uh, and then we'll talk about the key center of what this passage is about. Lesson number one from this passage is, is something that you and I, if you learn this, your life is going to go so much better, all right? So I just want you to really learn this. This is a key piece of wisdom that we need to take away from today from, and from this passage. And that is that when choosing who will be Lord over your life, the question is never, is he on my side? Never is that the question. But the question is always, am I on his side? You know, these guys in this delegation, they meet a bad doom in the end, right? Because they did not ask that question. This guy could be the king. This guy will be making all the decisions of my life going forward. Am I on his side? Does he think favorably of me? You know, can, can I acknowledge that I'm on his team? I'm a part of what, what goes on and I'm for the best of what happens in this community? And it's always the question for you and I in terms of lordship. Many things happen in our life on a day-to-day -day basis that are difficult. And they, they challenge our thinking. The enemy comes in immediately and says, you know, the reason that things are going so bad is, you know, God's not on your side. He's not for you. Right? And that's never the question. All right? So dismiss that immediately. The question is, I am on his side. Job explained it this way. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm on his team. If I have, he's my Lord. If I don't have, he's my Lord. If prayer gets answered the way I'm praying it, he's Lord. If prayer gets answered different from the way that I'm praying it, he's Lord. Lesson number two that we can take from this passage is that we will all give an account for what we have been given. In this passage, it says that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered servants uh, to whom he had given money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Now first, he called the ten servants to whom he had loaned the minas. And they each give an account for how they had used the money. The first servant uh, showed up that, you know, uh, his minas had earned 10 more. You know, he had produced. Now, while there is, you know, are, are many really important lessons in this, this parable, I believe it's easy for us to miss the central point. And lesson number two kind of sets us up for that, you know, that we are going to give an account Nothing is sliding under the radar. We are going to be held accountable for what we have received, for what we have been given. And, and uh, that's an important lesson for us to understand. But in this passage, I think a lot of times we can miss what the central message of it is. Understanding, with the understanding that the king is coming back, the central message here for them is engage in business until I come. Hello. 
engage in business until I come. I, uh, Michelle's dad, I worked for him uh, for a while in ministry, and he had a business card that he carried around with him that had his name and the church name on it, and a tagline. And the tagline read, God's business is the most important business in town. And I think a question for us is, are we really living that way? Is God's mission, is God's business the sum of what this book is all about, the most important in our life? Am I, thanks, living it in a way that people will not be, you know, confused at all. They will be crystal clear on the fact that God's business is a priority in my life. It's shaping my values. It's shaping the way I live. It's shaping the decisions that I make. And, and, and the testimony, if you ask my friends about my mission and purpose in life, that they will say somewhere along the line, he's, he's a kind person, he's a, he's a good person, he's a, he's a likable person, he'll make you laugh. Somewhere along the line, they'll say, he loves Jesus. And that's the most important thing in his life. The passage says that a nobleman going to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. As I said before, it's, it's, it's impossible for us now, New Testament time, to disconnect this from what happened with Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 7 says, But now I go away to him who sent me. I go to a faraway country. And then in verse 7 he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, or the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. The purpose of the Holy Spirit coming is to empower us to do mission, to engage in the business of the King. And so the question comes to us this morning, what gift did God give you that you have not shared? God's gift of the good news given upon our admission into the kingdom is intended to be invested and not hoarded. How are you and I using his gospel gift? How are we conducting his business? While we are thankful and declaring that, especially in this season right now, as we are leading up to Thanksgiving, we are freshly thinking about all the things that we are grateful for and thankful for. While we are thanking Him for salvation, while we are thanking Him for forgiveness, while we are thanking Him you know, for uh, eternal hope, we need to remember that He's coming back to see what we've done with His gift. And... Acquiescing to mental thanksgiving will not be good for us. We will be held accountable for the gifts that God has given us. Now, I'm not talking about you're not getting in the gate, right? <laughs> that, oh, sorry, you know, it's closed, you know. I'm talking about the, the, the time of God honoring and rewarding us and standing proud in front of him for the time that we used wisely 
and for our investment and not being the handkerchief servant who said, I hid it. It's still here. I'm still saved. I'm, I'm at the pearly gates, right? I'm standing here. While others come with those behind them. These are those that I told about you. And they want to go too. Amen. Isaiah prophesied that the coming of Messiah, and, and this was where the disconnect was for the people that Jesus was telling the parable. Isaiah clearly prophesied how Messiah would come, right? He said, here's, here's the way it's going to be. He will be wounded for your transgressions. He will be bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your sin will be upon him. Isaiah didn't say anything about he's rising up to his kingdom right now and he's, he's going to set his kingdom up on the earth. He said, this is the Messiah you're looking for. Wounded, transgressions, your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities, chastisement of his sin will be upon him. But then John tells us in Revelations that when he returns, he's coming back to judge all mankind. The conquering king will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, the Savior, will return as Jesus, the King of Kings. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15 says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The gift that is least given by modern Christianity and modern Christians is the gift of salvation, the gift of the gospel, that we are hoarding it by not sharing it. We're enjoying community, but we're not really inviting the community to enjoy community with a community of faith, the household of faith. The gift that we have hoarded is the gift that our family, our friends, our co-workers, our nation, and our world need most right now. What is it? It is the gospel. They need it. They long for it. Life has no meaning when I think about what's going on right now immediately in the news and we're looking around as a, as a people with, with no purpose, no understanding of their value, how did they get that way? Was it just because you and I disrespected them? We may have played a, a role in disrespecting people along the line, but the primary issue is that they don't have Jesus. They don't know him. Because when you know him, you don't feel lesser than anybody. You are a king's kid. And it doesn't matter, you know, what socioeconomic stratus you come from. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I grew up really, you know, my dad was really poor. But we grew up, you know, when I was young, talking about those Miami years, we were poor. We really were. In the light of how I live now, it's, it's unbelievable to think about. There were a lot of decisions that we couldn't make that I, I readily make today, don't even think about. 
And, and I never thought less of myself because as I gathered with my brothers and sisters in the household of faith who were all different social and economic classes of people, you know, some very successful, you know, some moderately successful, there's upper middle class, middle class, you know, all along the lines there. I never felt less than anybody because we were all king's kids. We all belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why does the world need the gospel today? Because their picture of themselves is less than what God has painted. They need to know how much he loves them and how much he cares about them. And we need to invest the gift that God's given us. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. We need to be investing the gift that God has given us. That's thanks living, not just thanksgiving. So while we're sitting around the table and uh, enjoying the food, we remember it's not the food, it's the thanks. And we also remember it's not just giving mental assent to you know, the things, oh, this is so great, I'm so glad I have the breath of life and I have you know, all of these things. It's lived out thanks living that demonstrates how much we appreciate the gift. I am bringing back to the kingdom, God, as an investment. You, you invested in me, and now I am investing in other lives. And I want to bring into your kingdom those that you've surrounded me with who needed to know about you, and I took the time to share my faith. I took the time to share my story. A lot of people are, are very... Um, intimidated about uh, sharing their faith. You get mental pictures about, man, I need to know all about theology. Somebody might ask me a question I don't know. You know, what if they ask me, you know, if God's really a God of love, then why, why do people suffer? You know? And uh, Jesus made it really simple for us. He really did. All you have to do is tell your story. You remember the guy that was uh, blind and, and Jesus came along and touched his eyes? And they had, they had a big inquisition, you know, after this because he could see. And so they brought him before all the, the religious leaders and they said, you know, tell us your story. You know, were you blind from birth or were you blind later or whatever? And, you know, uh, did, you know, what happened here? And is this magic? Were you ever really blind in the first place? His parents, you know, were testifying there. He was blind. I can tell you. He was blind. All his, all his friends, you know, and stuff like, yeah, he tripped over something. And I saw him. He's blind. You know, everybody was like. And so then they finally get to the guy, right? And, and you know, he's like, I don't know, like. A lot of the stuff, I don't know a lot of eloquent words and things. You know, I don't really know the theology of it. But here's what I do know. I was blind, <laughs> and now I see. <laughs> That's your story. And if you have your story, here's the, here's the deal. No one is ever at the mercy, no, no man is ever at the, uh, you're ever at the mercy of a man with an argument, you know, when you have an experience. Somebody has, has looked up, you know, uh, arguments that they can defeat Christians with. Here's the most successful argument. You can Google them, you know, and find them. So if anybody ever tries, I'm going to tell them that person's a Christian, and I'm going to tell them this argument. And all you have to say is, I, I don't know, you know, but I, I, here's what I do know. I was blind. <laughs> and now I see. So if you're blind, 
You know, if you don't have a sense of purpose, if you don't feel good about yourself, if you're angry at a whole bunch of people because of this or that or another thing, you know, all, all that's gone, you know, for me because he loved me and he forgave me of all my sins. Grace was offered to me. And as a result of that, I would like to offer that to you. That's it. It's very, very simple to share our faith. This morning is uh, fitting that we would be receiving communion right before um, Thanksgiving uh, celebrations. And I want to invite you to find uh, the elements nearby. Take that which represents the body of our Lord Jesus as we remember the sacrifice that he made for us and the gift that was given to us in salvation. Free gift was given to us. There are things that we're responsible for. We're responsible for taking up our cross. We talked about it last week. Not his cross, our cross. And going forward with it. Would you stand with me as we get ready to receive that which represents the body of the Lord Jesus? I want you to tell him what you are thankful for right now. And, and ask him to help you to live that out by engaging in his business. Father, we ask, we are so thankful for forgiveness. We're thankful for our family. Lord, we have a, a miracle in our family uh, in Emmy recently, Lord. We are so grateful for that miracle. But all along, there are so many stories in our family of your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Let us live this out as a family, that we'd be obedient to your word and we would be thanks living, not just giving thanks and telling others the stories, but that we would demonstrate that we are grateful for it, that we may engage in the business of the King of Kings. Thank you that your body was broken for us, that you were wounded, as it's Isaiah said, for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our sin was laid upon you. We thank you, Jesus. We can only repay by investing and doing your business is the only way we can demonstrate that we are grateful for what you did for us. We receive this right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we're so grateful for that which represents the blood of the Lord Jesus. How grateful we are, Lord, for that sacrifice that represents for all of us, Lord, that we, were, we are forgiven of our sins, but there has been a price paid that satisfies it for eternity. And that, Lord, in uh, receiving this, we recognize that we are members of your family. We are enjoined together as the family of God. And we are asking God that you would help us to get our, our, our hearts right in the sense of, of living this out and not just talking about it and not just emotionally thinking about it, but that we would be those who would be so grateful that we would, we would walk in obedience and engage in your business. 
who receive that which represents the blood of the Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.